0: Well, we're in uh, Colossians, the second chapter, and uh, we're just finishing up a portion from uh, last week in the 13th verse. And if you don't have the notes, that's okay. We're just going to talk real quickly about two verses here, and then we'll move on into the lesson that you have for tonight. But we we just kind of got rushed here at the end last week, and so uh, we're going to start in Colossians 2:13, and it says, "And you being dead in your trespasses and in circumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses." And so we've been made alive in him, uh, in, in the in the Greek there it says we've been made alive together, together with Christ. And so it's not separately, it's in Him. Now, the reason I want to go back over this, I want to just touch on, on, on three points that we have here uh, in, in this verse and in the following verse. The first point is um, that God did it through Jesus, that's talking about us, us being made alive, God did it through Jesus. It wasn't uh, what we did. It was what God did through Jesus. The fec- the second thing that He did through Jesus was simultaneously He forgave our sins. It was through Jesus, you know. And that's again, I just want to reiterate that fact. That's why this portion of Scripture is so very, very important um, because. It it reveals to us uh, what, what we have in and through Christ Jesus, and that God accomplished it in and through us. And then we go on into the 14th verse, and it says, "...having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." And so I want to read this out of the, the literal, it's in, your, in the notes, if you still have them. It says blotting, canceled out. It's like canceling out an IOU. And um, technically what it is, it's a, it's a gambling term that's being used there, blotting out, canceling out, like an IOU. It's so it's like you had this great debt against you, and, and God just simply canceled it out through Jesus out of uh, out the handwriting and the ordinances. And so, uh, whatever was written out against you, the ordinances, um, that term there in the Greek is dogma, um, absolute decrees. In other words, no matter what has been decreed against you, uh, it's, it's been forgiven you through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was against us, which was contrary or hostile at odds against to us and took it, Ariel removed it permanently. It was removed permanently. In other words, it isn't just removed until you mess up again. It's removed permanently out of the way, nailing, having nailed, it's past tense, having nailed it to the cross. And so once again, this is why it's so so important that we have an understanding of this: is that that everything that Aaron lost, Adam lost, in that perfective state that he was in, was restored to us um, through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It was through the cross, through the blood of Christ. The third point is the third thing that God did through Jesus Christ: He canceled um, the law of Moses which had kept us in captivity and away from salvation. Now, the law doesn't save us. What the law does is it reveals to us our need of a savior. And so, that's why it was, the the law was given to the children of Israel because they needed to understand that their goodness and their, what they considered to be keeping the law wasn't sufficient, and uh, and so it, it actually, it became a barrier. You know, and so you know, a lot of the uh, Judaizers and the Jewish people and, and so forth during the days of Jesus, they rejected Jesus because uh, they kept the law. And that's why the Bible talks about Jesus being a stumbling block. It was because they, they had a hard time coming to the point where they had put their, their trust in him and in him alone. And so it canceled out, it canceled that out. So, Um, Through Jesus, we were made alive. We were dead through Jesus. uh, At the same time, our sins were were canceled. And at the same time, um, the law was set out of the way so that we might experience total salvation through the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And then verse 15, I guess I said two verses. There's three verses here in these notes from last week. Having disarmed principality in power. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing, triumphing over them in it. And again, the literal, it says, having spoiled, disarmed, thrown away their weapons. In other words, the only weapon the enemy has against us are the ones that we arm him with. He's been disarmed. It says that he's been, they've, they've made an open show of him. You know, this is referring back to the Roman times and when the Romans would conquer a people, they would capture those people. Uh, and, and it wasn't enough to, for them to just conquer them. Um, they wanted to totally humiliate them. And so the leaders, what they would do is they'd take them and they would, they would strip them of, of everything, of all their armor and everything. But then they'd also strip them of their clothing. They'd take them down naked and then they would parade him through the streets. They'd expose their shame to everybody. It says Satan was made a public spectacle. He was an open show of his defeat, how Jesus triumphed over him. And, uh, and so that's where we have our victory. The, the dogma, uh, or excuse me, I'm in the wrong notes there. Akron, uh, high-ranking demons, in other words, he, he took them all down in powers, um, and he led them in a triumphant parade. And so Jesus made a, uh, a total spectacle of them, showing the triumph that belonged to us through the completed works of Jesus. And so then let's, let's move on into the 16th verse. We're going to get into our notes for this evening. Um, we're going to be hopefully finishing up um, this chapter uh, 2 where it talks about living free in Christ. Uh, in this portion of Scripture, 16 to the end, Paul warns the Colossians, the saints, about the work, uh, the works required by Gnosticism and that the rules and regulations imposed by false religion are tools by which Satan could put them into bondage. You know, it's an interesting thing. Paul made this statement. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. You know, and for every one of us in this room, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. He didn't set you free so that he could bring you back into a bondage, into another form. He came to set us free. He reminds them, this is Paul in Colossians, he reminds them, that because they have died with Christ, they have also been set free from the requirements of Gnosticism. And it has no effect in in overcoming the natural flesh because what, what Gnosticism taught was with these rules and regulations, you could overcome the flesh. Well, the problem is, is all that it did was it brought you back into bondage because if we could have done it, by just simply willpower, by overcoming the flesh, by setting a certain amount of rules and regulations into motions, we would have done it and we would have never needed Jesus. And so what it revealed to us was the great need that we had um, for Jesus. Now, this next portion of Scripture, the 16th and 17th verse, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because it's just a lot of detail. But it's in your notes, and in your notes I put a lot of Scriptures that you can look up for yourself because, you know, oftentimes what they were doing with the, the believers of the day, they were trying to impose the, the old traditional laws and so forth back on them. The thing that you have to understand is with, with, with the Jews of the day, with the religious folk, and, and this is what religion always has a tendency to do. Religion always has an element of control in it. And so uh, what, they, what they did was they, they took the laws that were passed down from Moses and they expanded upon them where um, they, they, there were things they couldn't eat, there were things they couldn't um, drink. There were, there were all sorts of rules and regulations that were opposed upon them. You know, tradition tells us uh, that there was a certain segment that they even had rules about how they conducted themselves when they had their bowel movement. You know, it sounds like a bunch of crap to me. You know, but, but, but that's, that's, what, that's what legalism will do to us. And so that's what he's addressing in this portion of Scripture. And so, verse 16 And and what Paul is saying to the church in Colossians, he says, don't let anybody judge you. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regards to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. And so these are the five things that they were trying to use to to impose legalism, rules and regulations upon uh, these people which would strip them of their of their freedom let me read it out of the the literal again let no one therefore judge you present active uh, imperative of current stop letting anyone set judgment over you so what that's saying is paul made this statement when i I saw this statement it just it set me free in some areas paul said I let nobody judge me. I don't even judge myself. You know why that is? It's because the Word is what He bases judgment on. And so, what I'm telling you is this. Judgment can only affect you if you allow it to. If you receive, if you accept that judgment. Because let me guarantee you something. There are people all around you Judging you every moment of every day. But you and I have to know. And this is why the book of Colossians is so important. That we know who we are in Christ Jesus. Because when that judgment comes, we don't have to accept it. We don't have to receive it. And that's what he's he's talking about here. He's talking about the judgment that's coming down upon them. Stop letting anyone set in judgment over you. Don't allow anybody to set in judgment over you in, and then he goes into the detail in meat that would be eating in drink or in respect to the holy days or the new moon or the sabbath day and so the the source of judgment is always self ju- self-righteousness why does somebody judge another because they because of self-righteousness because they believe that they're holier or, or more spiritual than you are. Let me tell you something. You're holy and you're spiritual. Not because of you, but because of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus because of the blood of Christ that was shed on your behalf. Why? So that no man, no man, no man has judgment. Over you. And so that's what Paul is addressing in this part because that's what was happening in the church of in, in, uh, the Colossians and also the Laodiceans because he, he used those in the introductions as well. The same thing was coming against them. Uh, Gnosticism is, is intellectual. Now, I'm not anti <laughs> having some intellect. But it's when we allow the intellectualism to rise up and be more important or significant. Or we begin to interpret Scripture not by the Spirit any longer, but by the intellect. You know, you've heard people say, well, you can get the Bible to say whatever you want it to say. Yes, you can if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do that if you're following Him. And if you're off track, the Holy Spirit will get you Back on, on track. And so, what they're doing is <clears throat> they're trying to get the speck out of your eye, even though they're wrestling with the eye or with the, the log in their own eye. And you can read that later on for yourself. That comes out of Matthew 7, where it talks about um, take the log out of your own eye before you try to get the, the speck out of your brother's eye. But then, <clears throat> And it's in your notes, and so I'm going to basically let you look these things up for yourself and study them for yourself. But but food and eating, um, you know, we we know that under the under the Levitical law oh, there were there were certain foods that they were not supposed to eat. They weren't supposed to um, eat pork. They weren't supposed to eat uh, bottom feeders. You know, uh, a, a lot of the uh, food that. People who, who claim to be following the rules eat, uh, such as lobster and, and uh, shrimp. You know, I have no problem in that area. Just give me my pork. You know, you know but, but they weren't allowed to eat those things because they, were, they, they, they didn't have scales. And so there, was, there were specifics. There were certain animals that uh, if they chewed the cud, uh, you could eat it. Uh, but it, there were certain ones that were exception. If they had a split uh, hoof, um, you couldn't even you couldn't eat them. But there were there were exceptions once and again, once again. But then you remember the 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 vision of of Peter when there was the sheet that was dropped before him, and in in that sheet was all sorts of unclean things, and, and the Lord said, "Eat." And he says, never, Lord, because never have allowed any of those unclean things cross these lips. And the Lord said, what I've called clean, do do not call unclean. Now, of course, he was carrying this over. This was a reference because he was just about ready to go to the Gentiles. And so you've got to remember also that the Jews were not allowed to eat a meal with Gentiles because they were considered unclean. And so he, he's using the whole thing. If, <clears throat> if, if we can't eat pork, then Jews should have absolutely nothing to do with us. And we might call ourselves spiritual Jews, but we're not truly Jews. We're, we're, you know, understand what I'm saying? And so um, these are laws that they're trying to impose back on him. Um, food and drink, eating and drinking. You know um i don't drink and it's it's personal conviction you know but uh uh, i the what the scripture speaks against is drunkenness and and i've got i think four examples of individuals that were um uh, corrected in the scriptures because of drunkenness lot was one of them you know and uh, and so it's it's not necessarily drinking but it's, it's, it's drunkenness that is an abomination to the Lord. And so, but, but these people were coming to the Colossians once again and they were beginning to restrict. They were beginning to tell them what they could do and what they couldn't do. And again, you know, I've, I've got a conviction in my life where I don't drink and the reason for that is uh, because of my testimony. I, I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. I don't want anybody to be able to say, well, it must be alright to drink because I know that Pastor Dave has a glass of wine periodically. You know, we, we don't even drink wine in communion. We have grape juice. You know, uh, but, uh, you know, but I grew up in a church where you had to have wine. wine you know, because if you didn't, it wasn't really communion. But anyway, if you've, if you've got that conviction, I'll get a bottle of wine and we'll have it for you Sunday morning because I don't want that to be a hindrance from you uh, from Re- receiving communion. I'll keep a little, little flask in my office and, and every communion, I'll go get my little flask and we'll pour you a little, little shot, you know. But, but the point is, what he's, they were, they were restricting him. We, we've got to stick to the scripture and what the scripture comes against, where drinking is concerned, it's, it's drunkenness, you know, because We we lose your control. You know, if if you read the Proverbs, Proverbs 31, the mother of Solomon says, you know, that he he ought not to drink. You know, maybe it's not in that proverb. But in one of the Proverbs, it talks about how, how leaders are not supposed to drink because it affects their thinking. Listen, people, if you think it doesn't affect you, you're deluded. Well, that would mean you'd lean a little more, wouldn't it? You know, but anyway. But anyway, <coughs> but anyway that, that's what he's coming against. And so then the other thing that he's talking about, and I want to get past this because, you know, this, he, he's talking about holy days. We, we, we see a resurgence of that. We see people saying that we have to practice the holy days. The holy days were forerunners, or they were shadows of Jesus. Every one of the holy days represented something in Jesus. It pointed to Jesus. Guess what? We don't have to point forward to Jesus any longer. We look back to the completed works of Jesus. And that's what the the holidays, you know, now I have no problem with somebody, if they want to historically practice the Passover And whatever I have absolutely no problem with that because historically I would like to go out to the East Coast sometime and and go to the Civil War battlegrounds and see a reenactment I just think that would be cool I've never done that and so I I, I would I would like to do that but but I wouldn't do that thinking oh oh, they're fighting the battle no I know it's a reenactment you know and so when somebody comes in if we had bring in a in a bunch of Jewish people and they would practice the Passover in front of us, we would not be practicing the Passover. We would be an expe- experiencing a reenactment of the Passover. Yep. Amen. Yep. You say, well, Pastor Dave, I don't like that. Well, that's okay. That's just me. You know, you want to practice the Passover? Then do it. You know, this is the problem I have with people that want to keep the law. Do it. I have no problem with you doing it. But then Do it. Don't do what's convenient for you. You keep it all. If you fail in one point, you failed in it all. So anyway, that's just me. Uh, So Passover is uh, is pointing to the crucifixion of Christ. He was crucified on the Passover. The unleavened bread, you know, that's when they would clean all the the leaven out of the household. Um, That was, you know, Jesus cleansed us from all of our sins through his death, burial, and his resurrection. Uh, the first fruits, it's, it's making reference to when Jesus was raised from the dead. Pentecost is representing the birth of the church when uh, there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Feast of Atonement, Trumpets, and Tabernacle. Um, they, they were the celebrations uh, at the time of, of the sowing. And so what's interesting is there's a, there's a void period between the sowing and the harvest. There's no festivals during that time. But I believe that, that, that again, this is me, I believe that that represents the, the, the gap or the period of time that we're in right now in the church. And uh, so anyway, we're not going to get into that because we don't have time for that tonight. Then there was the new moons. You know, Jesus says, one day is, is another. Jesus says we're not to be um, um, celebrating the feasts, of the moons, and so forth. And uh, you know that that's what they did to 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 repre- represent you know the, the first day of the month or whatever it may be. And so there were there were reasons for it, and it was instituted. But but Jesus was the fulfillment of all those things. Um, the Sabbath. You know, again, we have we have people today that are uh, wanting us to reinstitute the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a Jewish day of rest, and uh, they they were to do absolutely no work on that day. And I, I've heard people say, "Well, we 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 celebrate the Sabbath, but we've made it just a we've we've made it a family day." That's not what the scripture says. It's a day of rest. It's a day that we're to, to take that that one is to take aside and focus that day upon God. It's to be given unto Him. It's a it's a service unto Him. Now we we live in the Sabbath rest because we have the Holy Spirit. I don't need a particular day. To, to, to set aside to focus on God. Now we, we worship on the Sunday because I believe that there's an important time that we come together as a body as a worship. Why do we worship on Sunday? It's basically because we believe that Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday and we believe that the day of Pentecost was on a Sunday. And so the, the early church, that's the day that the early church began to, to celebrate. But let me tell you something. If the only day we could get together was Saturday, we would do it. And I'd have absolutely no reservation about that. Let me tell you something else. If the only day we could do it was a Tuesday, we would do it. And I'd have absolutely no problem with it whatsoever because it isn't the day. And so they're trying to impose that back on them. Sabbath means to rest. Why did did God rest? It wasn't because He was tired. And we think, well, everybody needs a day of rest. It isn't about tired. It's about recognizing it's complete. Jesus rested on the seventh day because He had completed His work. He was done. He sat down. What is our day of rest supposed to represent? It's supposed to represent that we sit back and we rest. Why? Because we know that Jesus has finished the work. It's complete. It's done. Well, and then there's a whole lot of other Sabbaths. You know, there's, there's the, uh, like I said, the, the weekly Sabbath. There's a Sabbath year. Um. There's the, the, the year of jubilee, which are seven Sabbath years. Uh, that's when everything is, is restored. We've, we've, we've celebrated the, the jubilee. Your, your year of jubilee uh, was manifest the day that you were born again. Because everything that you had lost was restored to you. You may not have recognized it. You may not have realized it. But that's exactly what happened on on the Sabbath. And so then let's go on into the the, 17th verse. The 17th verse, it says, well, let me read the 16th and go into the 17th because I feel like we need a flow. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regards to feasts or new moons or festivals. Now listen to this. Now he's referring back to what he just said, which are a shadow... Of things to come but the substance is of Christ how many of you know a shadow is not real a shadow has no substance the real thing is Jesus but for there to be a shadow there has to be a substance Jesus is a substance. Now, the thing we've got to remember, we've talked about that is in, in, this, in this teaching, Jesus didn't begin as God on the day that he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus had always been. And so, through the Old Testament, what you see continuously, you know, Oral Roberts years back, Uh, Wrote a little mini book. He preached it in a sermon first, but then it was in a mini book. Jesus in every book of the Bible. And he went through every book of the Bible, and he and and he he brought out a shadow of Jesus in every one of the books of the Bible. Why was there a shadow of Jesus in every book of the Bible? Because he was the substance. And it was a shadow of him. But we no longer need a shadow. I don't want to fellowship a shallow, shadow. We have the real thing. We have the substance. We have Jesus. And so, looking at this in the literal, it says, which are a shadow, seke, image cast on an object of things to come, but the body, sume, is of Christ. The body is Christ. Um, there are no shadows in the church age. Do you know why? Because we have the substance. Christ is the reality of um, the shadows that were there in, under the old covenant. And so we no longer need that shadow. Those, those shadows of the, of the old covenant were fulfilled in the epistles of the new covenant in the new testament through jesus christ and so that's why as as believers our our primary area of study always has to be the epistles and the reason for that is now i believe that it's important to read the entire scripture don't misunderstand me i believe it's important to read the entire scripture, but we interpret the Old Testament out of the light of the New Testament, not the other way around. Right. And the, re- the reason that this became real to me was when I was in seminary, we always thought somebody was really spiritual when they could preach out of the Old Testament. I'd hear somebody preach something out of the Old Testament, whoa, they're they're, they're really spiritual, they they understand this stuff. And later on I realized they didn't understand it. Because they didn't understand the New Testament. They they, They may have revealed truth to us, but there was no revelation in it. Because revelation comes through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us through the revelation of the New Testament. And so what they would do is they would take Old Testament, they'd preach out of the Old Testament, and then periodically they would pull out of the New Testament and throw something in there as a proof text for what they were saying. That's reverse. We preach out of the New Testament, the Old Testament are proof texts for the New Testament because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the truth that we have in the Old Testament, it, it, it hasn't changed. But the light has changed. We see it differently than we used to. Does that make any sense? And so we we, we look to the New Testament. The shadows, and I've already said this, but I'm going to repeat it. The shadows look forward to the cross. They look forward to the epistles. The epistles look back to the completed works of Jesus. Then let's go on into the 18th verse. And here he talks about um, neither visions nor angels form doctrine. You know, there is is so much doctrine in in this portion of Scripture. It's just, it's almost sad. You know, we we, we say that we're studying this verse by verse. But let me tell you something. There There is so much meat in these verses that we literally could take one verse a night and study that verse for the entire evening. It would take us four and a half years to get through the book. You know, but literally we could do that and we would, we would not exhaust the information that's available to us. But verse 18, it says, no one, let no one cheat you. You know, Paul is addressing something here that's an issue. And he's saying, let no one cheat you of your reward. Do you know what the enemy wants to do? You know what religion does? It cheats you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Literally, let no one beguile you. Defraud you, declare you uh, ineligible. Don't let anybody tell you know. Don't let anybody say that you not you're not eligible for the blessings of God. Don't let anybody disqualify you. You're qualified not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. That's why our eyes must always be fixed on Jesus. Because when you get your eyes off of Jesus you begin to see the circumstances. You begin to see everything else. And what happens is you begin to see yourself as being disqualified, not worthy. Let no one disqualify you of the reward in a voluntary humility uh, forced self-effacement and worship of angels indulging in scrutinizing those things which he hath not, in other words, he hasn't done that, seen. Paul is taking his stand on visions, vainly emptied, puffed up by his fleshly mind. You know the problem with angels and visions Now all of them are biblical. But the problem is, if you're not established in the Word of God, you begin to focus on these things and you begin to develop your own interpretation and what happens is you begin to exalt yourself. I had a vision. I saw an angel. And so you begin to elevate yourself. And so, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, it says we have a more sure thing through the Scriptures. And so, whatever you see, whatever you hear, it always has to be interpreted according to Scripture. And if it's interpreted according to Scripture, there are things that you will see, that you will hear. There are words that have been spoken over me, and uh, it just didn't set right, so I put it on the shelf. And as time goes on, take another look at it and I throw it out because it doesn't line up with scripture. There's other things that have been spoken over me that I could take and say that's true because I could see it in in the scriptures. So just because somebody has a word over you, let me tell you something. A false word can lead you into bondage. It can take you places and it can keep you places where you're not supposed to be. Because some person who, who, who declares to be a man or a woman of God has spoken something over me and so I, I, I've got to follow it. Well, you don't. You, 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 you've got to um, examine it. You examine it by the Word of God and you examine it by the Spirit of God that resides, it lives within you. You know, there's... There's times I've been in meetings and somebody has stood up and they've spoken. And in my spirit, it just goes. "Mm." Now, what they said, there was nothing that I could, on the surface, see that was really not biblical about it. But in my spirit, it just, I just knew something about this isn't right. And later on, I find out that Most of the time what I find out is that individual is a wacko. (laughs) Now for you those of you that are new to the church, if you don't know what a wacko is, you stay in Christendom long enough and you will know. It will become obvious. But there are there are what we call granola Christians. I'm not saying they're not Christians, they're just granola Christians. But a granola Christian, they're a bunch of flakes, fruits, and nuts. And they're out there. And so you just need to be aware of it. Well, Pastor, you shouldn't talk that way. Well, the truth sometimes hurts. But see, we also have to be aware of these things. Because otherwise what happens is because somebody goes by the label, we immediately think we have to hear and we've got to accept everything that they have to say. And the truth of the matter is, no, we don't. Because we live off of truth and His Word is truth. And so the, the problem with visions and dreams and, and, and seeing angels is that it, it begins to paint a picture and oftentimes that, that picture is inaccurate. But let me tell you something about the Word of God. The Word of God pitch, paints a picture. And the picture that you have in your heart, in your mind, that is painted by the Word of God is always accurate. You have to decipher something wrongly along the way for it not to be accurate. And so when you see in the scriptures that you are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus, because of the picture that that's forming in your mind, you see yourself as a different individual. That's an accurate picture. You see, according to the scriptures, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And as a result of that picture that you examine every single day, You begin to feel better about yourself. You no longer have that same sense of shame and guilt. You no longer feel inferior and incompetent. You begin to see yourself as as having value. That's an accurate picture. Because that's a picture that's written, that's, that's painted in your heart by the working of the Holy Spirit. Let's go on to verse 19. We're nourished by the Word and we're united by the Spirit. And not holding fast. Oh, it just seems so weird to start in the middle. You know, let's, let's read 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, indulging into those things which we, he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his own fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. And so he's, the, the head here is talking about, when you look at into, the, into the literal, it's talking about uh, the individual that's in charge. And here the head is capitalized as talking about Jesus and so what happens is all of these things can be distractions to us so that we're no longer Holding on to the head. We're no longer looking to the head. What's that mean? We're not looking to Jesus We're looking to to other individuals and so forth from whom all the body Nourished all the body everyone that is born again all the body you know, my grandfather told me one time. You know, I was raised in a denominational church, and my grandpa, when I was little, he thought I was going to be a pastor in that particular church, and and of course, then I rebelled and and, and got saved and and went non-denominational. And I always wondered what grandpa thought. It was Grandpa Miller, and I think it was like his 80-something's birthday that we went to, and. And so we were over in Sioux City at his birthday and we were leaving and I hadn't had a chance to talk to Grandpa and he's walking me out to the car and he puts his arm around me and he says he says, Dave I always want you to remember one thing. He said it doesn't matter what name is over the door as long as you always preach Christ and he crucified Anyone who preaches Christ and he crucified, doesn't matter what name's over the door. This is talking about them. We're one with them. (laughs) Some of them, we may not particularly want to be one with, but we are. And so he says, 19th verse, And not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is, with, that is from God. We're to grow in increase. But you know where that increase is going to come from? It's going to come from Him. That increase comes from knowledge. People say, Pastor Dave, why are there so many different... Um, denominations and sects within the church and so forth? Because they don't think like me. <laughs> I'm being funny here, okay? <clears throat> but, it's, but it's man's own interpretation. If we could all come to the place and, let's face it, we really try to teach and, and, and believe and stand upon the full counsel of God. But let's face reality. None of us do. Because none of us have a handle on it. None of us are perfect. Our our minds get in the way. What What we've learned and heard in the past gets in the way. But if we focus upon the Word of God, the knowledge of that Word will bring oneness into our life. That's why... You know, over the years, you know, in the 30, almost 35 years that I've pastored this church, almost 37 years that I've pastored in general, I've had wonderful, intimate fellowship with other pastors that were Catholic, that were Baptist, that were Presbyterian, that were Methodist, not all of them, you know, Lutheran, you know, Church of Christ. Um, We can go on down the line and I've had other independent, wonderful fellowship with them. In fact, some of these men and women, I've had better fellowship with them than I have others in the Word of Faith movement. Pastor, how can that be? Because we focused on what we believed in. We had a priest here in town that was born again. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He spoke in other tongues. We didn't sit around and talk about Catholicism. We didn't sit around and talk about what we did not agree upon. We talked about what we agreed upon. And when we did that, we had beautiful fellowship with one another. We've got to stop, you know, they're talking about politics and the division and and so forth. Our politics is just a reflection of the church. The reason there's so much division in the politics in the United States is because there's so much division within the church in the United States. There's The reason there's so many free and individual thinkers in politics today is because there's so many free and individual thinkers in the church today. I believe that. And so we see revival in the church and we'll see unity in the other areas. But see, we want to do it opposite. We want, to, we want to bring unity in our politics. And when we get unity in our politics, everything else will begin to flow together. No, it won't. You know why? Because that'll never happen. Because it's not, there's only one way that we can reach unity and harmony, and that's through the Spirit. Because what we'll try to do is we'll try to, to gain worldly peace, which is based on man's wisdom. But what we need is godly peace, which was based on a relationship and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Hallelujah. What did I just read? Have I read verse 20 yet? Let's read verse 20. We are going going to get through this. Therefore, if you died with Christ, the, the condition... There's only one condition here. If you've died with Christ, have you died with Christ? What does that mean? You've been born again. When you were born again, you died with Christ. If you've died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? The rules and regulations of the Levitical law and others, It was to control. It was to to hold in check the world. And he's saying, if if you died with Christ, why are you still subjecting yourself to the rules and the regulations that were put in place for the world? Do not touch. Actually, if you study that out, that's talking about sexual intimacy and so forth. It's not saying that you're, you're, you're supposed to be free. It's just saying, don't, somebody, don't allow somebody to control you. Because that's what legalism wants to do. It wants to control every area of your life. <clears throat> you know, we, we got... Well, Judy and I, anyway. I don't know if anybody else in this room got. Well, Dan and Cindy probably. You know, we, we got born again during a, a period of time where there was a movement known as the Shepherding Movement, and, and 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 biblically there was there was some right principles within it, but it, but as man do does, it always goes overboard, and so it was taken away overboard, and so in not not here, but there were areas where. A woman wasn't allowed to go grocery shopping until she checked with the elders to make sure it was okay. You say, Well, Pastor, that sounds kind of extreme. (laughs) It is. But that's how bad it got. That anything that anybody did in their life, they had to they had to check with the elders. You would have had to come to me and say, You know what, we're considering having a baby, is that okay (laughs) with you? No, you need to subs- abstain for a week or two and then come back and see me and we'll think about it. You say, Pastor, this is ri-. that's what they're talking about. And that's what the law will do. Let me tell you something. You don't have to check with me if you and your husband don't have a baby. That's, that, that's, that's totally up to you. I, I, I'm out of the picture. You know, so I, I got to be careful here. I'm walking on some really take your ground right now, aren't I? You know, do not touch. Do not taste. Going back to, to foods that, that dictate what you can eat, what you can't eat. Um, do not handle you know, what, what, what you can have in your possession, what you can have in your life. Going on to the 22nd verse. Which all concern things which perish With using. In other words, it has absolutely nothing to do with eternity. And what are they trying to say? They're trying to tell you that if you are truly saved, you've got to follow our leading. If you're not following our leading, if you're not practicing what we're directing you to do, you're not really saved. He's saying all of this stuff has that. Listen, that's what the book of Galatians is about. That's why Paul confronted Peter, the pillar of the church, because pillar, pillar, (laughs) Peter, (laughs) the pillar, had gone the way with the Judaizers who had come down from Jerusalem to the church in Galatia. And they said, it's not enough. To simply receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you also need to be circumcised and follow the rules and the regulations handed down from Jerusalem. And Paul confronted Peter and said, you're a hypocrite. Because just a week ago, you were eating with the Gentiles. Why do you as a Jew do as a Gentile expecting the Gentiles to be a Jew? Let me tell you something. We've been grafted in, but we don't have to live like a Jew. We are Gentiles that have been grafted into the kingdom of God. And through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we have relationship with Jesus. And it's not based on what I eat. It's not based on my actions. It's based on what Jesus did for me. And Paul Paul here is saying, don't allow this to steal from you what's been given you which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Saying this has absolutely nothing to do with God. These things indeed listen to this. Listen to this because this is how they suck you in. These things indeed have an appearance Of wisdom in self imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What is he saying? He's saying it comes. Through the completed works of Jesus as we keep our eyes on the head Jesus and as we allow the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to work and produce and accomplish change in our life we will change but it's not because of man's efforts Is because of the completed works of Jesus. So summarizing chapter 3. It is in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge can be found. It's in Christ. He and the Word are one and the same. Our goal is to establish in the truth of God's Word is to be established in the truth of God's word and united by the love of God. How do we find... We're not looking for union in the church. We're looking for unity in the church. Union is a work of man. Unity is the work of the Holy Spirit. Of our folk, um, If our focus is on growing in the knowledge of the Word, we will avoid being drawn away by the philosophies and the false religions of man. What's the answer to philosophy? What's the answer to religions of man? The Word of God being so familiar with the Word of God. I I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, how do they train people to be able to recognize counterfeit money? It isn't by having them study counterfeit money. They become so familiar with the real thing. They touch it, they smell it. I don't know, maybe they even taste it, I don't know. But they become so familiar with that money that when something counterfeit is brought to them, they may not even know immediately what it is, but they know something is wrong with that money, and they'll find it. That's how it is with false religion. We know something's wrong, we may not even know what's wrong, but we know something's not wrong, not right. Why? Because we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Gnosticism was not only a threat to the, the church in Colossians, of the Colossians, it remains a threat in the church today. That's why this is so relevant today. It's, it's probably, we, we see more of it today than, than I've seen in my, my Christian life of for 40 some years. There's more air, there's more stuff out there that's trying to get our attention. To do, today, it's under the guise of new age movement and other false religions. It's all over the place. We've got it on the square. We've got it all the place. False religions trying to draw us away from the truth. Performing certain acts, observing special days, deeming, deeming them holy, or abstain as an avenue of holiness. It's all to get us, get our eyes off of Jesus and his completed works. What's our pursuit? Our pursuit is greater greater revelation of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That has to be so real to us that we see it in every area, every aspect of our life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. We made it through chapter 2. Next week we'll pick up on chapter 3 and be blessed because we see kids being turned loose. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.